0: Thank you for listening. You're listening to Inspiring Conversations, and I'm Barbara Gawne, your host. Every once in a while on the planet, I have the opportunity to be in another country. And today I'm in Holland, and I'm with Deborah Latham, as you know, our um, wonderful program director. And I have a beautiful woman sitting in front of me. And I often thought, what makes people inspired to do something that nobody would have ever thought of? And Jane Goodall is a inspiration not only to me but i think the rest of the planet because once upon a time there was a need and she filled it and that sounds so out there why don't we have you introduce yourself and then maybe they'll get what i'm talking about
1: well um i can only introduce myself as someone who's on this planet i think to do a job and i was incredibly fortunate in being born into an extraordinary family with a wonderful mother and an amazing grandmother and right from the tiniest age i was fascinated by everything that crawled and walked and flew and animals we lived in london so there wasn't much scope but for example when i was one and a half years old my mother came into my room. She found I'd taken a whole handful of earthworms to bed with me. (laughs) And I was probably fascinated to know how they could walk without legs. But anyway, she didn't say, ugh, throw those dirty things away. She just said, Jane, if you leave them here, they'll soon be dead. They need the earth. So I toddled back with them into the garden. And in the same sort of way, she supported all these early interests that I had. And... When I fell in love with Tarzan at the age of 11 and was very, very jealous of Tarzan's wife and thought I could have been a better mate for Tarzan myself, I'm sure you would agree. Uh, Then I decided that when I grew up, I wanted to go to Africa, live with animals and write books about them. That was my dream. This is during the end of the Second World War. We didn't have any money in my family. Africa was still the dark continent. We just heard rumors of, you know, poisoned arrows and drumbeats sending out sinister messages over the dark jungles, And everyone laughed at me, how would you get there? Why don't you dream about something that you can actually achieve, except my mother? And she used to say, if you really want something, you work hard enough, you take advantage of opportunity and you never give up, you will find a way. And so that was the, the inspiration that I had during my childhood which I think enabled me when I had the opportunity to go to Africa, being invited there by a school friend. I had the the vision to take up the challenge, save up money, get out there. And when I met the late Louis Leakey, my mentor, I was ready to accept his offer to go out and live with the chimpanzees and try and find out something about them.
0: But that seems so unusual. I mean, to go to Africa sounds wonderful, but why go live with the chimpanzees?
1: I wanted to live with animals, and I would have actually studied any animal he had offered. But the fact that he was offering me the opportunity to learn about our closest living relatives in the wild was something beyond even my wildest dreams. and. It was very hard for him to actually get the funding for me to do it, because I didn't have any degree at that time. That came later. And eventually he found a wealthy American businessman who said, "Okay, Lewis, here's money for four months. We'll see what she can do. second problem, the authorities, British it was then, it was the British protectorate, Tanganyika. And they said, a young girl on her own in the bush. (laughs) Impossible. In fact, a lot of people thought he was amoral. Sure, That's going back, you know. Yeah. And... um, But he didn't give up. And so in the end they said, all right, but she can't come alone. She has to have someone with her. So who volunteered for three months? That same remarkable mother. And she brought with her a whole lot of simple medications because her brother was a doctor. And she would spend hours on each, the fisherman who would come to her makeshift clinic of four poles with a thatched roof. She had aspirin, she had band-aids. She had the old fashioned Epsom salts, you know, for tummies, and the old saline drips. And she effected some incredible cures just through patients. So she became known as a white witch doctor. And that established an amazing relationship with all the local people, which has stood me and my students in good stead ever since.
0: Interesting. So you went there with your mother with four months of funding. Right. And a dream. And a dream. Well, I'm amazed. And how long did you make your dream a reality?
1: well it's uh, it's in its 38th year now
0: can you you're not old enough to be in your 38th year but congratulations <laughs> i guess the jungle is good for one um tell us some of your experiences i mean you're a young you were young really young to go into the jungle by yourself with your mother
1: mm, i was 26.
0: that is young <laughs> to go into the jungle
1: mm-hmm.
0: but were these parts of the jungle where people hadn't been before
1: i didn't think Uh, Many white people had been, a couple of game rangers. It was a reserve because they'd found chimpanzees there. Of course, Tanganyika was originally German, East Africa. And the Germans actually had created a park there. But then, in the war, that dissolved. And so it was recreated.
0: So you made your own home in the jungle, literally? A tent. A tent? Mama
1: and I shared a tent. We had one Tanzanian cook. And then when Mama had to go... Lewis Leakey sent his trusted boatman, and so there was this little camp of us, and um, I went off into the mountains. Initially they made me go with someone, but uh, eventually they all kind of, they thought I was mad, but I was probably okay. So I was able to then be by myself, which is the key to overcoming the chimps' inherent fear. They ran away from me for, I mean, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I really, I thought, well, I'm going to let Lewis Leakey down. Two, if I don't see something exciting, he'll never get any more money. And it was a really, it was a very, very hard time. One part of me was loving the forest, the peace of it, being out there, so much to learn and see. But then there was this part of me that was frantic to find out something to get more money, so that i could actually learn about the chimps. And one chimpanzee male, David Greybeard, for some reason lost his fear way ahead of the others. He actually came to my camp. He took bananas from the table. My cook told me about this. So as he came four days in a row, there was an oil tree, oil nut palm in the camp. So he was actually coming for the for the nuts. So I waited down, there was David Graybeard, who I already knew from the forest. And after this banana thing, he would sometimes approach me in the forest, and the others who were ready to flee, of wide eyes, what's happening here? And they suddenly realized, well, she's not so terrifying. And so it was David Greybeard who first demonstrated that chimpanzees use tools. He was using a piece of grass to fish termites from their underground nests. And not only that, he would sometimes pick a leafy twig and strip away the leaf, it's modifying an object, tool making. So why was this so insignificant and exciting? Because at that time we thought that humans and only humans used and made tools. So this this was the observation that enabled Lewis to go to the National Geographic and get money to continue. And
0: how long were you actually with the chimps by yourself with the chimpanzees?
1: After my mother left, about a year. Oh my and then then I start then I got into Cambridge University to do a Ph.D., skipping the B.A. And I was the what, eighth person in their history to be allowed to do that. And so then I would kind of go back and forth.
0: And did they always accept you whenever you came back? They knew who you were? They even remembered more, you?
1: Even more. It's oh. as though, in my absence, this image that they must have had in their minds was so, so they don't have words. So I imagine them thinking in pictures and it's as though this picture of this strange white ape had stayed on in their minds so that i'd gone on they'd gone on getting used to me even when i wasn't there
0: they might have missed you even no 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 we've well, never
1: had that sort of relationship it's always been trying to keep a distance so that you can watch their normal behavior and you know
0: well, there's a brand new book out, and I'm just going to ask one question about the theory of um, that the early chimpanzee only has a five-month development period of the brain. Could you tell anything about the early development of the brain, watching these young babies being born with their moms? And how many? What did you say? Five months. They've just done some research that oh, the rubbish. human brain. Yeah. Well, this is what it's in this book. It's um. Well, anyway, it's a brand new book, and they said that the chimpanzee has a five-month period of brain development and um, that the human has five years. Well, um, first
1: of all, I don't know anything about the book or the theory, but it's absolutely true that chimpanzees, like humans, can continue to learn throughout life. Uh, They have this characteristic of neoteny, as we do. So, of course, there are periods of extreme development in the brain, human and animal alike, and maybe it's some particular aspect of development that's limited to five months. But young chimps have this extraordinarily long childhood, five years of suckling, riding the mother's back, sleeping with her at night. And then even when the next baby is born, when the eldest is five years, the the elder child continues to travel with the mother for another three.
0: They're just like us, aren't they? They're
1: just like us. Uh And it seems that this long dependency is important for them as for us because there is so much to learn. And this is the time when the the, um, brain is plastic and it's easier for them to learn as youngsters
0: well i am delighted to hear that (laughs) that we are the hope for all of us we can be as as bright as the chimpanzees you studied Um, when you were in the jungles did you begin to realize that there were a lot of more similarities between us and the chimpanzees between humans and chimpanzees and were there any startling discoveries that we could learn from them
1: certainly the studies of chimps and not only in the in the forest but also some captive studies have shown over the years that chimps are just extraordinarily like us and we have all the biological similarities which is not particularly my sphere but the behavioral similarities this long childhood the bonds between family members that can last through a life of up to 60 years even more uh the nonverbal communication kissing embracing holding hands, patting on the back, the use of many objects as tools, the fact that in different parts of Africa there are different tools-using behaviors, passed from one generation to the next, almost certainly by observation, and so can be described as primitive culture, something else we used to think unique to us. And because their brain is more like ours than that of any other living creature, we have all these similarities in intellectual performance things we used to think unique to ourselves, and then all these similarities in emotions as well. Joy, sadness, despair. Do they cry? Despair. They don't cry tears. Um, they have a crying sound, uh-huh. and you can see the crying in the eyes, but they don't actually shed tears.
0: Well, now that I know your research is available, if someone listening today wanted to maybe check on the web, do you have some of the information or photos of you with um work that you've been doing on the world wide web
1: yes we do um we have a, a constantly being developed website good getting better and better is it
0: under roots and shoots which we'll get into a minute or is it under your name no it's under www.janegoodall.org dot org okay good i will remember that and um when you were putting this on the web did you put pictures so we if we check it out we can see photographs mm-hmm. and pictures
1: and soon there will be a lot of sound as well on video and it's being brought up to date more and more.
0: Well you were a really fortunate young girl that your mother understood and she never told you that being with animals was wrong or having these worms in your bed was wrong. She nurtured you in a way that allowed you to live your dream and I know you have another dream that other children will be nurtured in the way you were nurtured and you've started a non-profit organization. Could you tell us a little about that?
1: Yeah, the the actual organization is the Jane Goodall Institute, but the program for children that you refer to, it's called Roots and Shoots. Roots that creep under the ground and make a firm foundation. Shoots that seem tiny but to reach the light can break open a brick wall. And we see the brick wall as all the problems that we humans have inflicted on this poor old planet, you know, ranging from cutting down the forest, the spread of the desert, the soil erosion, the tremendous poverty and disease and famine in some parts of the world, the overpopulation, the overconsumption, the two together forming a a terrible partnership leading to, to incredibly significant depletions of the resources of the earth. And then on top of all the pollution, the poisoning of the air and the water and the earth, hole in the ozone layer, the changing global climate. You also have human cruelty, greed, crime and war. Bad stewards we've been. But this program for young people offers hope in that hundreds and thousands of them around the world can break through this brick wall and change the world. So there are groups in preschool, groups in university, groups in everything in between. I would say most of them in middle school and high school. And there are now over 2,000 groups around the world, particularly in North America and Tanzania. An average group would, well, at least 30. So that's a lot of that's students influenced. a lot being, of people. Yes, influenced. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, it, we've even got a group in a woman's prison. Uh, we have neighborhood groups, because kids get so excited they take the project back to their parents, and the parents get the whole street involved. So what do they do? Why are they excited? Hands-on projects to make the world around them a better place. Um, Three projects, one for the environment, one for animals, and this includes dogs and cats and goats and chickens. It's domestic as well as wild. And thirdly, for the local community. And the exact nature of the project that they tackle will depend on how old they are, the interests of a teacher perhaps, or a leader student. Um, If they're in in the inner city or the country, if they live in um, the United States or Taiwan or Tanzania, if they're rich or poor, their ethnic group, their religion. And it's just as much about breaking down barriers between ethnic groups, cultures, countries, religions, uh, old and young, and humans and animals, as it is about anything else.
0: That's so beautiful how lucky they are that they have this program. I think we all have the potential in us to make a difference but we don't know how to make a difference. Well,
1: that's it. And that's the main message for Roots and Shoots, that every individual matters, and we must include animals, but every one of us has a role to play, and every one of us makes a difference.
0: And you certainly have made a difference. And I think about you, and I'm for our listeners, I'm talking to Jane Goodall. And Jane, um, you've talked a lot about your time in the jungles and your new program. What's your dream for the future now?
1: Well, I suppose my dream for the future is that the roots and shoots program will swell already we have many many other groups who have come under the umbrella not because not because it's better than other programs but because perhaps it's more all-embracing there's thousands of environmental groups there's a lot of community outreach
0: that's there's true. very
1: little that joins it all together to make the whole world of the child and so we feel that for example by involving the wildlife clubs of World Wildlife, thousands of those clubs, if they join Roots and Shoots, then they're going to add, they're going to add domestic animals and humans to the kind of things that they're involved with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. And they communicate with each other around the world now.
0: How do they do that, on the internet?
1: Well, some do internet, but I mean, so many of the schools that I work with in Tanzania and other African countries, they don't have electricity. There's no desks, there's no chairs, um, there are very few books. There is a h- huge number of kids per school, so much so they have to go in shifts. Um, there aren't enough teachers, and so we have to we have to remember that these kids are just as important as the affluent ones who have internet at their disposal from the affluent countries. So we try and keep roots and shoots very much aware this networking, that some people don't have these, these modern technologies.
0: I'm glad you do that. And it's so wonderful to have these children have the same purpose as somebody who has all of these new modern techniques.
1: Yeah, that's what one of the kids said to me, one of the Tanzanians, um, when he was about 16. I had an international group in my, in my garden in, in Tanzania, and I was asking them what this program meant to them. And he said, he said, Well, I think the most important thing is that wherever I go in the world, if there's a roots and shoots group, I know I have friends because we'll all have the same philosophy.
0: Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that Isn't lovely? That beautiful, mm. absolutely. Mm. I would make my heart swell with pride just to hear those young children talk about their contributions to the planet. Today in your speech, you made the most profound statement that youth is here, youth gives you the hope for the future. Youth are the people who have the energy and the dynamic and the what what else did you say about youth today? Give our listeners some hope for the youth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, once once the children know the problems and once they are empowered to act, which is the key to it. Once you're prepared to listen to them and let them design the programs that they then become a part of, then you find that they are just incredibly committed, incredibly enthusiastic. And they are absolutely convinced that what they're doing makes a difference. And of course it does, it is. And you know, we have this little phrase think globally, act locally. If I spend a lot of time thinking globally, I get very depressed. And then it's hard to act locally. But if you do it the other way around, if you act locally, you see the change, you feel the excitement, you see it having a ripple effect, then you start daring to think globally, knowing that there's other people doing exactly what you're doing in other parts of the world, that it isn't all hopeless.
0: That's so beautiful. And you, you just may be the um, needed ingredient to get everybody to be together. And I was thinking about your program for youth, and one of the problems today are mothers don't have enough time with their children. And I was thinking if your Roots and Shoots could spend some time with the mothers, so the mothers would give their children some of these experiences. And I'm sure you put some of that together too, with the families yes. connected.
1: Yeah, we try and connect the families because I think the most important lesson you asked earlier that we've learned from the chimps is the tremendous importance to the infant of the type of mother, the type of family into which he or she is born. There are good and bad chimp mothers just as there are good and bad human mothers. And if you have a mother who is less affectionate, less playful, uh, rather harsh in her disciplining, um, and above all is not very supportive of her child, then you tend to have an individual who will grow up to be very tense and nervous in his or her interactions with others.
0: As a chimpanzee? As
1: a chimpanzee. So if the same can be said for humans, which I believe that it can, then we see the tremendous importance of that early experience. And if you look around at what's happening to so many kids in the world today, they're dumped out in daycare, and people who can't afford really good daycare, there's constant changing of caretakers. And where, is, where are the one or two adults that a young child needs to form a trusting relationship with? It just isn't enough, what they're getting. And so why are we surprised at the violence in
0: the world? Absolutely. We're losing
1: our families.
0: We're losing our families, and um, I'm not sure they even know that themselves they're so caught up in what's going on on the planet and then when something comes along like roots and shoots to me that gives the children the opportunity to train their parents to help their parents and i feel that happens so often
1: absolutely train their children it's yes but a lovely thing i had a letter from a 14 year old who'd been in a um, adolescent correctional institution and she wrote to me she said while i was inside I found your book. I've got this little book, My Life with the Chimpanzees, which has all my little messages to kids. And she said, I found it. She said, I didn't have a wonderful mom like you did, but I found you.
0: Mm. And
1: she said, that's helped me to get off drugs. And I'm back in school, I'm getting straight A's, and I'm going to make a difference like you did.
0: Bringing tears to my eyes, listening to you. Oh, tears to my eyes. Oh, yes. I think about my own self and my own, the power of my own daughter to get me to stop smoking when she was 11, and I think our children are going to be the salvation of our planet. I truly believe it in my heart. If we could get the adult generation to stop smoking, we can get them to stop doing other things and be with their families. That's right. I um, want to ask you one more question about if you were to see the most positive thing that's come out of all of your life, the research. Is it the dream that you knew someday did you know you would make a significant difference on the planet? What was it about you that gave you the the courage, the inspiration, the the practice of doing what you do best?
1: Well, I don't know. I suppose it was partly this this wonderful supportive family and then, you know, the gradual realization that for me anyway, I feel a great spiritual power surrounding us. And that is a power from which i can derive strength and energy when i'm tired when i'm depressed gives you the courage to keep on going and i feel very very strongly that this is a a reality
0: were you ever scared i have to ask that question
1: scared of course
0: were you i think you had to be pretty dumb not to be scared quite you did it anyway can i put words in your mouth you were scared and you did it anyway well i just as soon as i got to gombi
1: i felt i was meant to be there And, you know, I remember being up in the mountains one night just with my little blanket and hearing this leopard, and I really was scared of leopards. And so I just pulled the blanket over my head and thought, well, you know, I think I sort of had a pact with God. (laughs) You you look after me and I'll do this as well as I can.
0: (laughs) And so how, did the leopard ever bother you? We have to hear the end of the story, you're here.
1: (laughs) No, the leopard didn't do anything to me.
0: No, and I think when you said that you just had a pact with God, I think God watches over you. Did you ever think the chimpanzees had any angels with them? Did you ever get a feeling that they had a spiritual side?
1: What they have, they have um, a certain awe of natural phenomena, like this beautiful waterfall that falls about 80 feet, and it's created for itself a channel in the rock face so that as it drops, the force of the water causes spray to come out. And when the chimpanzees get there, they'll sometimes do these amazing rhythmic dances, and they'll climb the little vines and they push out in the spray, and then at the end they may sit on a, on a rock and just watch the water, and they watch it come down. So what is this amazing substance that's always coming, always going, always here? And couldn't it be that kind of awe which led to the early human animistic religion? once? give the chimpanzee language they don't have a spoken language these feelings are caught within them and a language would enable them to discuss it and i think it would take nothing to change that into some kind of ritualistic religion
0: that is amazing i don't know if there's anything left that i need to ask you for our listeners because now we have a world audience listening to you is there something that i should have asked you that i've left out is there something in your heart that you think I have this time to hear to let them hear me. Is there something I should have asked you? Is there something you want to leave us with before we finish?
1: Well, you know, to 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 add one little piece that these long years with the chimpanzee have taught us humility, that we are a unique species. We're just not quite as different from the rest of the animal kingdom as we used to think. And we now realize we have to, that we're not the only beings with personality capable of rational thought and knowing emotions, like fear, despair, mental as well as physical suffering. And that gives us a new respect, and it's not only for chimps, but because that sharp line that used to be thought to divide human from the rest of the animal kingdom is now very blurry, and getting blurrier all the time. We have this respect for so many other amazing animal beings with whom we share the planet, and when we think about the use and abuse to which we put them, then it's, it, it's hurting, it hurts. And it makes a lot of people despairing, but you know the message again is that every single one of us makes a difference, and we can all do something about it. Like even you if, did. Even if it's one tiny, tiny step, it makes a difference.
0: If you haven't been an inspiration to the planet by your stories today, I don't know who would be. Uh, at this time, when we look at the world, and we look at the people on it, and we look at the animal kingdom, I feel like we're one. I can't help but say that. Don't you feel like that at times? We're just well, all one.
1: We are all one. It is one one interconnecting system of lives.
0: It is, it is. And
1: we, we've done such a lot to destroy it.
0: We can't take it for granted anymore. No, but it's we, going. We have to do our part. It is.
1: Honestly, it's going. It's literally going. It's going. You know, we're using up too many of our world's resources, and there's only a short window of time, I truly believe, for us to get together
0: and make a difference. I was reading in Time magazine, and it was on Earth Day, and they said we're entering the sixth extinction, man-made extinction. Mm -hmm. And it was like it was news today, it's hot, tomorrow it'll be sunny and warm. This is not something you can just put in an article, we're in the sixth extinction. This is a very serious time Mm. on the planet. And I think the message that you're taking to the world is the message we need to hear that each one of us can make a difference and we can't stand by.
1: And we mustn't stand by. We can't stand by. We mustn't suffer from what I call just meism. It's just me, what I do doesn't make a difference. I can't matter, there's a billion people. We're soon going to get a billion people all thinking it doesn't matter what I do, I'm just me. Turn it around,
0: change. Exactly. I am me and I can do something. Um, and I want to thank you for inspiring our listeners because I know just by hearing what you did and the way you did it and what you have going for you now that you're not going to give up either, that you're going to keep doing what you're doing, and so will we. You're listening to Radio for Peace International. I'm Barbara gahn Mueller, and I always thank you for listening to Radio for Peace International because with you as our listener, then we can continue to do the good work that we like to do, Lives often, right here in Costa Rica. I'm Barbara gahn Mueller, thanking you for listening.